welcome to another episode of Wesley Union. Um, it's me, Sarah, your host. And today I am joined by Bryant Manning from FSU and TCC's Wesley Foundation. Bryant, how are you? So good. How are you? You know, I'm out here trying to make it. I'm recording from a very different place, not where I usually am. So I'm hoping that the sound works in my favor. Um, but if not, it'll be okay. <laughs> we're okay. Um, Love it. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Because I hadn't really spoken to you beyond emails until about two minutes ago. So fill everyone in. Who are you? Yeah. What do you do? What's your life? So I, I am the new director of the uh, FSU and Wesley, FSU and TCC Wesley Foundation here in Tallahassee. Um, I say new because I, I have been here since July, but it still feels very new to me, especially given the fact that I moved during COVID. Um, and so I, before I was here, I was uh, the associate chaplain at Florida Southern College in Lakeland uh, for seven years, um, serving in a campus ministry role. So I've been in campus ministry professionally full-time since 2013. Um, and then when I, uh, I was in seminary at Duke uh, Divinity School for three years and served at the, uh, the Duke Wesley Foundation as well there. So I've kind of seen um, campus ministry within the United Methodist Church in a lot of different ways. I did not grow up United Methodist. Uh, I would say that I came to the United Methodist Church when I was 17 or 18, uh, when I discovered Warren Willis Camp, which was the first place I worked um, that was involved with United Methodism at all. Uh, in fact, I didn't really know anything about United Methodism. And uh, I remember feeling very alone in those first uh, couple of weeks. But since I have found the, the United Methodist Church to be a very welcoming place um, to me, uh, it has encouraged me to seek out my faith in, in a bunch of different ways. Um, so that's been, it's just been really, really cool way uh, to grow in my faith kind of past that high school uh, period, uh, which is why I care so much about campus ministry. Uh, I am married. My wife, Allison, uh, is a lifelong United Methodist uh, with lots of family members uh, that are clergy, not only her father, but her grandfather, her uncle, and many going back. Um, and so she's been uh, into United Methodism for a long time. In fact, she served as a general conference delegate for many years uh, as a youth delegate. And we have two beautiful daughters. Uh, they're right behind me. I'm in my dining room right now. Collins, who's three, and Dylan, who is almost one. She's 11 months and she is the pandemic baby. She was born in April of 2020. And that was, you know, that was right when we were starting to realize what this was going to be. And so, uh, and she was born right before we moved to Tallahassee and all of that sort of thing. So it's been, it's been an exciting time, but that's a little bit about who I am and where I've been. Yeah. Yeah. That, oh, thank you. That was such a like, beautiful overview of your life. And um, wow. I have so many questions about your life now. I wish I could just <laughs> ask about all of those. Um, I am one thing I am curious about. Did you you went to do? So then, did you get ordained as a part of that, or did you just get like the master's of divinity and like go? Yeah, cool, so that want to is learn. that is a great question and a very relevant thing in my life right now. Um, so when I would when I graduated from Duke, I went back into the candidacy process, or went you know went into the candidacy process as you would. Um, to be honest with you, I didn't find it uh, a very uplifting process and I was frustrated by a few different things. And because I was serving uh, in a pastoral role, but outside of the need, need to be clergy, uh, I kind of just stuck with that. Um, and over time, I, I dropped my candidacy. Now, uh, when I 
when I came to FSU, I really felt a calling to, to continue that um, and finish that out. So I'm currently serving as laity um, at, here, at, here at Wesley, but I will hopefully in the next couple of years move through uh, licensed pastoral stuff and then eventually on to elder. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the process. My, you know, we joke in, in the United Methodist Church that it's a long process. And with me, it has been really long um, with highs and lows. But, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited for what, what's to come there. Uh, and so that's something I'm currently working through. Gotcha. Thank you for your, like, transparency and honesty about that. I, I appreciate that. Because I think yeah. a lot of times we hear people talk about candidacy, like it is this long thing, but it's just like, constant moving forward. And I, I appreciate your acknowledgement that it's, it's not a linear journey. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So now that we've talked about you, I guess let's dive in to like the liturgical content. Um, sure, hand, let's do it. Which is, we're going to talk about the first half of Holy Week. So Palm Sunday through Monday, Thursday. Um, so why did those days, as well as Holy Week, in general matter? I mean, why is even the liturgical calendar important? Like, why do these things matter? Yeah, that's it's actually a great place to start, I think, with the liturgical calendar in general, uh, because the liturgical calendar is in a very real way. And this is something, you know, not something I grew up in because I didn't grow up UMC. I didn't grow up in a church that celebrated um, Ash Wednesday or um, much of Holy Week, to be honest. I think there was a Good Friday service and definitely an Easter service. But um, and we certainly didn't I, I didn't know what Advent was. Um, you know, I knew that Christmas Eve was a big deal, but that was about it. I just grew up. In a, in a more, um, I guess, less liturgical environment. Um, but what I've learned about, about the liturgical calendar is that it presents a chance to um, embody yourself as a church, as a people, as a follower of Christ, embody yourself in the history of um, the Christian movement, or we should say the Judeo-Christian movement, or, or the movement of God and God's people. Um, and so it really is a, a, a way to embody that, which means that we go through a period of time in which we are anticipating the coming of Christ, just as they did through the prophets for so long. Uh, we go through a period of time where we recognize our brokenness. I mean, Lent is not a time where we, you know, we use the word celebrate as a way to um, describe what happens in, inside of um, a Lenten experience, but it's not like a celebration. It's not this joyful time. It's this time of recognizing our own sin, recognizing our own brokenness, recognizing our need for God. It's why Ash Wednesday is often such a powerful time um, because we, you know, we realize that we are dust and we are going to return to dust. I mean, that's an embodiment. Uh, we don't speak about that in terms of uh, um, any sort of sacramental language necessarily in, 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 our, in our practices, but it very much is this kind of participation in the story of Christ. And so if you look at the liturgical calendar in general, I would say that's probably the best thing about the liturgical calendar. But Holy Week in specific is not only just the embodiment of, of living into the story of, of God's people, but it's, it's living into the story of Jesus. And I think that's a really helpful thing um, to realize and, and can be very meaningful. Um, we're in a culture today where we, right, we want to move right to Christmas, right? I mean, how, how often, as soon as Halloween's over, we are starting to advertise Christmas just in our culture. Um, and the same thing's true for Easter, right? Uh, e Easter this year is April 4th, but I saw stuff in, on sale for Easter, 
in February in Publix. You know, we weren't even to Valentine's Day yet and they were advertising Easter things. And so we, we live in this culture of just needing to move on to the next big thing that we can celebrate that brings us happiness or joy or whatever. Um, and not that that's entirely bad, but I think it is helpful, particularly when it comes to Holy Week and things like Advent, to, to stop and walk through the life of Christ. Um, that way, you know, we, we, we stop at Good Friday, right? And we pause at Good Friday, and then we move on to Easter. We start at Palm Sunday as he enters into the, um, in, into the, the city. We, we, we go through the, 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 can you imagine the pain uh, that happened the night before he was betrayed, right? Um, and so all of those things are really helpful to kind of walk through. Um, and so that's why I think they matter. I think for the life of a Christian, it, it helps to put yourself in the place of Christ, the person who gave his life for you. It helps you to put yourself in, in his shoes and walk with him just as he did. And so, you know, you feel the emotions that he would feel. You understand the things that he would understand. You And you experience it in a far deeper way than us just showing up on Sunday morning like most of America and just clapping our hands and, you know, patting ourselves on the back for showing up to church, right? Instead, we, we walk through the, the, the experience that he has with the disciples that, you know, that in the midst of the communion, we can talk more about that, but um, that experience he has with the disciples, the experience where people are laying down the palm fronds for him as he enters in. Um, and you, you get to kind of walk through each piece of that. I think that's why when you look at uh, Palm Sunday as an example, uh, at churches, we have people bring in the palm fronds, right? There, because there, there actually is a, a, a motion to that. There is a, a movement to that. And we're actually embodying uh, exactly what happened um, in those times. So, yeah, I think that's why it's mostly important. Oh, so beautiful. And so, Dan, actually, you can't see it. It's on the other side of my camera, but I'm in front. There's a palm tree in front of me. And, like, wow. I was watching the palm move as you were saying that. And I was just like, oh, wow. We can just Conversations that can stop. only happen in Florida. I love it. Right? <laughs> only, only Florida. Yeah. Basically, in, you know, like March, like most places are <laughs> yes. so, like, cold and so true. nice and sunny and bright today. <laughs> but no, that. I really appreciated you talking about how it's like walking in, I guess, Jesus's shoes and like walking through like what that week was like for him and what the calendar is like broadly in relation to Jesus. I think it, it adds a depth to like the Christian walk, like, because I also didn't grow up in the liturgical calendar. And so I was like, yeah, there's Easter and good Friday. And, um, yeah, there's Christmas and there's Advent. I just thought it was like a calendar I didn't know about candles and, what <laughs> were. and I was like, wait, I like showed up later and I was like, wait, there are candles and they mean things. Oh, I, I just thought it was a thing we said, <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's, it's so enriching. And I think it, it reminds us particularly during Holy week when you can think about different things on different days, it reminds us to take a moment and stop and center ourselves and connect ourselves to the broader like history of the church and like that Jesus can empathize with lots of different moments. Right. Like when Judas betrays him, right. Like there is, that's a complex story. One Judas is, mm-hmm. is complex. I do not right. want to say with Judas. Um, but there, you know, Jesus had moments of celebration on Palm Sunday and he had moments in the garden where, you know, he was like, if you can take this cup from me, like moments of sorrow, 
And I just, I really appreciate the way this week walks us through so many highs and lows in Jesus's life. And it, that's how life is a lot of times. I think particularly when you're in college and you're a young adult and even throughout life, like, you know, you had a test and you did really great. And then the next day you find out you forgot about a test. Like it's, right. it's this super erratic thing. And so I, I just appreciate um, that, that of a holy week. Yeah, it definitely is a, a walk of highs and lows for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to invite you, one, if you would like to walk us a little bit more through what this first half of the week, Palm Sunday through Monday, Thursday, um, is specifically what the different days are. But then also, if you would like to reflect on what these days mean to you, I guess more on a personal level, sure. um, that would be great. Sure. Yeah. And let's, let's focus uh, a little bit on those main two days, which kind of um, uh, bookend the, the, the first half of Holy Week. Um, and, and particularly because I think these are the two days um, inside of Holy Week that get ignored, um, even though they are celebrated um, in our churches. I mean, they are, they are practiced in our churches, uh, particularly the United Methodist Church, but they are, they are the, the, like I said, the, I guess the least, um, uh, there's at least attention given to them as compared to Good Friday and, and Easter, of course. Um, one of the things I love about Palm Sunday is um, a lot of the, the heritage that happens. It, it, Jesus is, is clearly celebrated as the king that he is as he, as he comes into the city. Um, but there is a lot of things that, that happen. First of all, Solomon uses the palms uh, when he builds the temple. I mean, palms and palms had been used through the cultures um, to, to signify success and to signify, um, you know, this kind of hierarchical authority, I would say. Um, and so the, the palms are used as a way to, to lay down, but, but also you get this juxtaposition of Jesus on the donkey, um, which, you know, donkeys were used to, 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 to travel. That, that wasn't, you know, necessarily anything different, except that I think it's important that we, we understand at least historically, or at least in our stories, Mary coming in to Bethlehem on a donkey, right? And so she's coming in and she's bearing the king of all kings, right? The, the Lord of Lords. She's bearing this child, but she's doing so in a humble way. Obviously, we know when they go into the manger in the stable, there's this kind of humble backdrop to this glorified king. And I think it's, it's a really interesting juxtaposition that the same thing happens on Palm Sunday. Um, because I, I think you see the, the glory, the Hosanna, the Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And then you also see the, um, the humility uh, of him coming on the donkey, which I, I, I can't help but think is metaphorical um, on a, in a purposeful way. Um, well, so first of all, I think that is a, always a good reminder. And I think that's what makes um, following Christ a... I don't know, something that you can relate to in a better way is because I can see God for who God is, which is the God who, who I am totally reliant on, the one that I must worship. I am, you know, the one that I am, I am called to worship and called to serve, right? But then I also see God on a real level, right? I see God as somebody who needs to ride on the back of a donkey as, he, as you walk through your life or whatever, uh, as you're coming into the city. So there's, there's that. The other, the other thing that I think is, is helpful inside of Palm Sunday is that Jesus knows 
Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that the disciples or, or the people who were laying down the palm fronds or, or whoever really understood the gravity of what was happening, but Jesus for sure knew the gravity of what was happening. And, and before he even gets to the garden of Gethsemane, I mean, he, he knows what's happening there. That's important uh, because you've got to put yourself in his shoes, right? One of the most human times of Jesus's life is when Jesus is saying, God, if there's any way, make this cup pass from me, right? But not your will, but I'd be done. And so we see kind of his understanding of, of, of where this is leading to. In other words, he's being praised, again, the juxtaposition, but he also knows that he's about to be murdered, right? And those are two very opposite things. Uh, we were just talking about the highs and the lows and in, in, in college life, especially. Right. And, and that is, that's a real, a real experience that he has there. And I feel that, you know, there are plenty of times in my own life where I have been praised um, for something that I did well, and then literally go on to the next meeting and get in trouble for, you know, something I did in some other realm or, or, or some decision I made that wasn't the smartest one, or like something that I didn't think of that this ended up having these implications or something like that. And so you get into a place where you're like, okay, I did really well. Oh no, you know, like, okay, this was really great. And then, and so I feel that in, in my like daily life. And I, I think Jesus experienced is that in Palm Sunday as well. Uh, and so I, I think that juxtaposition is really, really important and meaningful and, and can be helpful for, for kind of understanding it. The other thing I love about Palm Sunday, and I don't know that I've, um, you know, I thought about this earlier today, but I don't know that I've really ever thought too much about it other than recognizing that it's the same. But when we do communion, um, which in a, a lot of churches on a, a weekly basis, and maybe not so much during COVID, but outside of COVID, hopefully, um, as a very regular basis of doing communion. When we do the full communion liturgy, the great Thanksgiving, we actually declare those words together as a church, which I love. It's not just on Palm Sunday that we sing all the Hosanna songs or something. Like we actually say Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest, right? And so we participate in that, um, that glorification of God in the same words that were used when he entered into the city um, on a weekly basis, which I just love. Um, so I think that's really cool. And then, uh, we kind of move through uh, Holy Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. We we get to Monday, Thursday, which is um, again, I think one of the more ignored holy days, but also one of the most powerful. And, and the reason is, is because that thing that we were talking about, where Jesus knew what was coming, Jesus, you know, he knew what pain was was coming to him. On Monday, Thursday, that's when everything becomes real, right? Um, first of all, that's that's the first time we get that communion liturgy, that or we get that that uh, experience of communion, which leads to our communion liturgy. Um, so that's really that's really meaningful and powerful. Um, he also is very honest with the disciples in those moments. Um, you know, that's when he says, "One of you will deny me before the the rooster crows," right? Three times. Um, that's when he says, "One of you will betray me," right? And and so he and he knows. And of course, you know, Peter is standing there like Peter always does. Not me, Lord. Not me, Lord. You know. And I'm sure Judas is like, eh, I'm not sure. You know, it's a lot of money. Um, but there's there was like this you know, he, he was having those very real conversations 
across a meal. I think about how many times in our lives, whether it's been with a, a family member or a friend or something that I've just had this unbelievable conversation with people over a meal in a very holy way. And that's what happens on Monday, Thursday. Um, the other thing about Monday, Thursday, and is this word Monday, which I, I grew up in the Baptist church. And so the first time I ever heard it, I literally thought somebody was saying it was Monday, Thursday. And I was very confused. Like, what is Monday, Thursday? Uh, yeah. Listen, I wish I should have looked this up. It comes from Monday. Monday comes from a, a Latin term, um, of which I sound very smart, but I don't remember the actual term. Um, but it comes from a Latin term meaning commandment, uh, which is important because not only does Jesus have this experience with the disciples in which he, um, you know, he, he gives them what we now call the Lord's Supper or we call the Last Supper inside of scripture. Um, and he has that experience with them. But then also he says, and I give to you a new commandment to love another just as I have loved you. That new commandment becomes the definition of who Jesus's people are to be in the world, right? And so the thing I'm about to do for you, even though the disciples clearly, especially in a couple of the gospels had no idea, um, that thing that was about to happen, he was about to demonstrate love for them. And here he's saying, and my new commandment, is for you to go and do likewise, right? That's really important. And then he does that important thing where he gets on the ground and washes their feet, which has become such a, um, a big piece of our, our liturgical practices often in churches, again, probably not during COVID, but um, where we, we serve one another. Um, and so I always think of the very first moment that I, I had, I was serving at Warren Willis camp. I had come out of the Baptist church in the United Methodist church. I had no idea what Methodism was about. And then they told me that we were going to have a foot washing service. And I got really nervous and really scared about who was going to touch my feet. And, um, you know, and so I, 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 I had this kind of like uh, emotional moment of what does that mean? And, and then I realized, no, the service, and it's not just the, you know, the act of doing something for somebody else, but it's helpful, but doing something that would have been, especially in biblical times, so, um, first of all, culturally disdained, um, so looked down upon, um, and also gross. I mean, it, their feet would have been very dirty. To wash another's feet, I think, is a perfect example of where, you know, Jesus is setting for us that model for what being his follower would be like. Yeah, yeah, I I loved all that. You, you say such beautiful like things. I'm like, which thing do I even want to talk about? Because I I didn't know that about what Mondi meant. And so like this notion of it like being commandment and then the commandment having to do with loving and serving and like, you know, being willing to sacrifice so much and like do the things that are culturally hard, right? And not popular like because they are loving people, like it's just so powerful. Um, and I, just, I love that, that imagery. And, and that's, and, you know, that's the truth is that the church has not always served that purpose, right? Um, the church has in just, you know, total honesty, right? The church has not been the, the lover of people, the servant of people, particularly when it's culturally unpopular, um, that it needs to be. And I mean, if there's, if there's one thing we can glean out of that, it's like, how do I love someone else? Right. Um, in a way that, 
will get the, you know, so much so that it will get me killed, right? Um, how, how can I love somebody else so much? Can I serve someone else so much that it would be so culturally unpopular that God's will would be done throughout that? I, I think that's just a really cool moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. And I think we're going to dive more into that after the break. I think we're going to take a sure. quick break and then we're going to come back and keep diving into all of that. Um, there's so much to unpack. Um, so stay tuned, everyone. We'll be back in just a minute. In addition to these Wesley Union Liturgical Year podcast, we also have a Liturgical Reflections blog series where different members of the Studio Wesley community share their thoughts on different liturgical days and seasons. To read some of these reflections, visit www.studiowesley.org slash blogs slash liturgical dash reflections. All right, everyone, we are back. I hope you enjoyed our brief break. I'm sure Allison said something beautiful about something we're doing that you should check out. Um, so I guess we're going to dive right back into this. Before the break, we were talking about showing the love of Jesus, even when it's like culturally unpopular and how the church hasn't always done the best job of that. Um, and so I'm going to invite Bryant to dive in a little more to that and like why these days and stories are significant to today's society. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great, that's a great uh, transitional piece. Um, and I think a lot of times it's hard for us to, to, to look at it in that way because, you know, we want to separate it as like, you know, Holy Week's just something we do at church or whatever. But the truth is like, if it doesn't, if it doesn't shape us into the people that we need to be on a daily basis, the people that God's calling us to be on a daily basis, then it hasn't done its role, uh, and which is the whole purpose. Um, obviously loving, like we were saying, um, we did look this up in the break, mandatum is that Latin word. So I can just... Um, justify my, my statement, but, uh, which, which just means I, um, a new commandment or commandment. Um, and so Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment there and mostly in John's gospel, if I remember right. Um, but, but the, the purpose behind that is, is that if, if Jesus loved, um, throughout his life and, and, and I would say both loved in a way of like showing attention, um, but also in a way of I mean, healing. We can't ignore the fact that Jesus did most of his ministry in, in a very connected way to um, healing. What a lot of people would have seen as magic at the time. And we, we understand as some sort of miracle work. Um, but that, that's how Jesus's ministry did. And he did that for the least of these, right? He didn't, um, he, the people he held accountable were the leaders of the church. The people he held accountable um, were people who, you know, thought they had it all together. But if you look at the people that he actually gets down on their level with, right? Um, you see anybody from the woman at the well to um, Zacchaeus, to um, the lepers or the blind. Um, and that's where a lot of uh, the miracle work comes, comes from. And so Jesus is doing that to the least of these. And, and so my question for all of us as we, as we understand Holy Week and we live through Holy Week is, is where is that reflected in our life as well, right? Where are we reaching out to the least of us among us? And, and I'll tell you at FSU and TCC Wesley, uh, we have been adamant about being a welcoming place for all people. And um, because of that, and because that heritage at Wesley has been around for a long time, 
you know, I would say that a major portion of our congregation are identifies LGBTQ plus, and that um, it's a way in which you know we as the church are saying, hey, you, you are welcome here, right? You, you are empowered here. We want you to have a leadership role. We want you to to get some experience with that. We want you to grow in your faith, even though a lot of churches, and very honestly, a lot of churches in Tallahassee wouldn't welcome you in the door. They certainly wouldn't put you in a leadership role. Um, I remember at um, my old school, uh, a girl who played in our, in our worship band, uh, amazing drummer, just, and also just an amazing human being. Um, but she identifies gay and she, uh, went to play at another church. And when they found out, they asked her not to play anymore. And this is a drummer. This is not somebody who's speaking. They're not reading scripture there. I mean, you would think that would be the smallest of roles, but they would not allow her to play because, uh, of the way she saw herself as being created by God. And that, that, that sort of thing is, is, um, you know, it, it, when I got to Wesley, that was the first thing I wanted to say to our crew, um, was, Hey, whoever you are, however God has created you, however you identify, you're, you're welcome in this place. Um, now I will say that is sometimes a very unpopular thing. Um, and it's unpopular in a lot of ways. It's unpopular, um, behind the people, um, for some of the people who have been, you know, historied at Wesley, some of the people who have been super involved, alums and whatever. Um, it is unpopular among some of the other campus ministries across our campus. Uh, we are not welcome at one of the um, biggest events for all the campus ministries because of our stance in LGBTQ equality. Um, and that's just something we had to decide as a crew. We're okay with, you know, like we're okay with not being welcome at that thing if it means that we can welcome those who aren't welcomed um, there. Um, and so that would be an example of where, you know, we're trying to live um, with with the least of these. And, and one of the things that Wesley's also been doing, um, you know, especially over the last year that we've had. Um, we need to do more work, more anti-racist work as an example. We need to do more work of understanding who we are. Um, in Tallahassee, um, it is, it, it's by far the most gerrymandered place I've ever lived. Um, literally across the railroad tracks. And that used to be an old phrase back in the day, like across the railroad tracks, you're in, you're in somebody else's town. And what they meant is you crossed over into a different race of people, a different culture if you cross the railroad tracks. Tallahassee, literally, if you cross railroad street, you cross over into what they would, you know, what most of the world would consider the black culture. And whereas FSU is mostly middle-class white folk. And that's true about our two Wesley foundations too. And so when I got here, um, you know, I, I reached out to Latricia, who's at FAMU Wesley, who's doing an amazing job there and also pastoring a church and teaching and doing all these other things. And I said, hey, there are histories of Wesley having two separate, you know, having two separate Wesleys or, or having two, um, Two Wesleys that aren't 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 you know we'll we'll do our own things but we're but we're not even aligned or whatever um, we're not community that's over we we need to have a community um, among us and we're we're still in the midst of discussing what that would look like um, could we have an intentional community but that's a place in which our church is saying we want to live with those that the world has said okay you live across the railroad tracks right and we're saying no 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 you're a part of our family too we want to be a part of your family and trying to cross that while doing the good and holy um, anti-racist work and education work that needs to be done across, across our campus. 
So that's just an example in which I think the church could love as Jesus loved us. Would it get us in trouble? Yeah, probably. Would we, um, you know, would we lose a few people in the meantime? Yeah, sure. Um, You know, I've had people since I've been here, I've had a couple people who walked out in the middle of a message. And, um, you know, that's hard as the preacher. You never want to see that. But but at the same time, you know, I, I feel so convicted in the values of this place that I want to I, I want to pursue that in a way that would only be seen as um, you know living into who Jesus has called us to be, and He does that through uh, through His you know His call in Monday Thursday. So that's just two examples where I think um, good work is being done and could be done in the future. Yeah, I absolutely one hundred percent agree. I'm thank you for sharing about that work that y'all are doing. That's so so good. I actually um, I didn't grow up in Tallahassee, but I grew up in rural counties nearby. So I'm like familiar with the Mm -hmm. area. Yeah. Um, and the culture that kind of permeates that, that North central Florida, um, (laughs) vibe. Um, and so I'm, I'm glad to hear that there are people recognizing that and working specifically in, I guess, collegiate spaces, but hopefully, you know, eventually getting out into the community, I would imagine that are considering those things to kind of combat, some of those issues and because there aren't affirming church spaces available really in most right. of that area. And there's not um, this deep conviction to do anti-racist work among a lot of people and a lot of churches in those areas. And that's so, so good that y'all are in conversation with the Reverend Dr. Latricia Scriven, <laughs> and, like, who is just Amazing. From everything I've ever experienced in the powerhouse of a human. Um, yes. And y'all are, and one thing I think about sometimes whenever, you know, you hear that there are students who, you know, don't believe in the middle of messages because they don't agree theologically on those points or events you're not allowed to be a part of. I am always like, that is okay because there are so many ministries and spaces for yes. the most of us people, right? Yes. There aren't many spaces for the least of people. And Jesus was always sitting with the least of people and uplifting the least of people and like listening to them. And as someone whose degree is in sociology, I've just found these massive theological like convictions in like what sociological data tells us about who the least of us are and Mm. who is at risk and how we care for people on systemic levels and like all of those things. And so I just, I appreciate you pointing all that out. And I'm actually going to do a slight plug here. Um, not this week, not Holy week, but in the week following Easter, um, studio Wesley is actually dropping a new series, a podcast called queer roots and black spirituality. And it, um, interviews with queer black individuals about their spiritual journeys and like the intersections of faith and race and queerness. And I'm super excited for people to hear that and awesome. connect to those stories. Um, yeah. So that's, you were sharing a little bit about what Wesley was doing over in Tallahassee and that's a little bit what we're doing in Jacksonville. So, um, which is available online. And so anyone can access it anywhere. Um, that's awesome. So, yeah. Oh, so excited about all those connections that you just made. Oh, so good. Um, so, I guess to get back into scripture a little more, which we've been talking about scripture, obviously, but um, when you think about these days, there are obviously like obvious Bible stories and scriptures that come to mind, Um, but are there other ones that come to mind or how exactly did those 
traditional scriptures play a role in the way you think about these days? Yeah, I think um, I often look for the intertextuality of, of those things. So uh, as an example, like I, I love thinking about the role of the donkey um, in both um, the Palm Sunday um, story and and in the uh, story of, of Mary um, bearing Jesus, you know, riding. I've, I am married to a woman who has given birth twice. And so I have... Uh, you know, experienced uh, what a pregnant uh, pregnancy is like a couple of times. And um, just thinking about her riding in, in that humble way, uh, it's a great example. Um, I think, I think the, the, the predictions that happen and, and of course, I mean, there's all kinds of passages um, from Isaiah, particularly that um, pop up throughout throughout the story of Jesus. Um, and that, it, and they all come to fruition in this week, right, of Palm Sunday through Easter. They all come to fruition. And Jesus, you know, Jesus quotes Isaiah so much, especially through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, quotes Isaiah so much because he's, you know, he's, he's trying to push, um, he's trying to push into that. He's trying, he's trying to show the disciples who are often the hard-headed ones, hey, by the way, like these things that have been foretold through the prophets, like they're coming true. Um, and so I just, I think that's really cool. Obviously, um, when it comes to, again, the intertextuality of the washing of the feet, um, there's, there are so many um, instances throughout scripture where water has played a cleansing role, right? Obviously, we, we see that in baptism, in our sacrament of baptism, but water has played a cleansing role in a lot of other ways too. Um, any, anywhere from Noah's Ark, um, on through uh, scripture, water has always played this role uh, of bringing new life and um, and I don't know newness and cleanliness um, to it. And so I, I don't think there's any you know Jesus could have done a lot of things to serve his disciples, right? He could have done um, a lot of things to serve them, and we probably would look at those things and say, okay, okay, he's serving. But I think also what he's doing is he's bathing their feet, which I think is really important um, and. So I, the, that, I think the, the use of water there always um, is significant to me, just, just in, in the way that we experience water. A lot of us shower on a daily basis. You know, we, we understand water in a very real, tangible way. And I think that's, that's why um, that happens there. Um, and like I said earlier, the other thing that I can't get out of my mind when I think through Holy Week is the emotions that Jesus is going through, obviously highlighted on um, at, the, at the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, and so I, I think, you know, even though I'm starting to get into Good Friday at that point, I, um, you know, we're, we're kind of in that in-between zone there with the garden. And that's an important piece, a so important piece uh, in fact, I'm a Jesus Christ Superstar fan. I don't know how you feel about musicals, but uh, Gethsemane, which is his like biggest solo, that is the best song in the entire show. Hands down, my opinion, it's also the hardest to sing. I grew up a musician, so like <laughs> I recognize um, how hard that is. But um, but that's, you, you hear and feel the emotion of what he goes through in that time period between his his. Um, his sharing of communion, his washing of the feet, his then praying with the disciples who fell asleep, right? And then his betrayal. And um, that's that's just a really, really significant part of this story as we get to Good Friday when he's actually crucified um, is, 
is the, the painfulness of that, is his emotions. And I just love it. I mean, there's two moments in Jesus' life. This is Good Friday when he's laying on the cross and you know, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is a quote out of the Psalms, right? Where, where he's, he's, you know, he's, he's saying he's, he's at his most you know, human point at that point, right? Um, but then also I think that moment in the garden when he says, you know, Father, if, if anything is possible, please take this cup away from me. Um, and how many times have I been in a situation where I've known that I needed to do something either for my family or for, you know, a friend or for my own life or for my own calling or whatever. And the last thing I want to do is that. I mean, I, I, I mentioned I was a musician. When, when God called me to go into pastoral ministry, I, like a lot of us, went kicking and screaming, right? And that's the same thing. Like, God, if, if there's any way not to do that, right? If there's any way I could make a lot of money, that would be great. If there's any way not to do that, but not my will, but yours be done. So that's, that's another piece of that story I think we can't forget. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I would just like to say, I love Jesus Christ Superstar. If those of you watching couldn't tell, there was no audio, but I was like <laughs> freaking out whenever you brought that up. I love Jesus Christ Superstar. It is one of my favorite musicals. Um, we actually watched it on Easter, like okay. several, several years ago in CCW, whenever the John Legend, Sarah Borelli's version. Yes. Yeah. We, Crazy. <laughs> Crazy thing. Um, so that performance I thought was great. A lot of people panned it because I don't know, people, some people just don't like the show and it, it, it definitely fits into the seventies vibe. And so sometimes it doesn't quite get out of that, even if they put a little rock and roll picture on it, but a close, uh, a close friend of mine, her husband was the understudy for John legend for that. Um, so he like posted on Instagram, his like John legend's belt pack. And I was like, what is your life? And he actually played, um, one of the, um, the priest was Caiaphas. And so um, he actually was in the show that night too. So it's just kind of crazy, crazy small world. But I thought that performance was great. Just want to go on record. Okay. Same. And maybe it was the first, cause it was the first time I'd ever seen that musical. Okay. Like, oh. So like maybe I'm like partial to that one. I have like since listened to some other soundtracks and like watched some other things here and there of it. Um, but I think that one's really good. I don't know if you know this, but some, um, Broadway women actually recorded like part of the soundtrack, like just with women singing different things. If you, no. like, oh, I'll have to send it to you after this, and I'll link it in the description yes. for anyone else who's interested. Um, but it's pretty fantastic. Um, wow. Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> we've had our musical theater good moment. Um, <laughs> yes, I I love the whole. Garden of Gethsemane theme of Jesus in like the Bible and I guess in the, you know musicals too, um, but this this it, I think it gives us all the freedom to like speak to God in a very open and honest way. Like I mean, God obviously knows what's going on in our beings already, but I think sometimes there's just like oh I can't say that to God because God is God. But I think actually being honest and authentic with God is a really powerful thing and like. God, maybe you feel like you're being asked to do something that you don't want to do. And I think it's okay to be so real, just like Jesus was and say, if there's any way, if there's another way, please take this cup from me. And to, yeah. you know, again, this is on the cross, but you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Like, cause it feels like that sometimes. And I, I just appreciate the way Jesus shows us that like, it is okay to be in deep, dark spaces and to not feel like God is present. 
tend to be begging God to do something and still feel like you're having to walk through these hard, hard moments. Amen. Um, yeah. And so I, I appreciate your emphasis on that. Yeah. Um, do you have any, I guess, final thoughts, takeaways you want us to have about these days and how they center and carry us in scripture and in today's society and where the church is headed? Yeah. Um, I, well, first of all, I think, um, you know, I, I grew up in a church that, um, unabashedly called scripture, the word of God. And it wasn't until I got to probably seminary, maybe a couple classes in undergrad, when I started to hear that, um, you know, the word of God is actually Jesus, right? I mean, this is the logos that's talked about in John one um, is actually Jesus. And so when I look at scripture as a whole, and I understand that some people, especially historical critical people, maybe not don't look at it this way. But when I look at scripture as a whole, I, I, scripture does no good unless it reveals Jesus to us, right? And so when I pick up scripture to read it on a daily basis, I, I'm, I'm saying to God, please show me who Christ is, right? Please show me how to live as Christ. And um, and so that's that's for me the, the purpose of scripture. And so that's why I think Holy Week, um, and, and particularly Good Friday and Easter, but but these these first half, this first half of Holy Week is so important because we walk with Jesus. We walk with the Word. I mean, the the Word is being indwelled inside of us, just as God. John talks about the the Word indwelling inside of the world. I mean, that's the purpose of it. And so, when it comes to when it comes to following in those steps, I think, uh, you know, one of the things is we, we, we just follow his path, right? Um, you know, he, he says, as often as we eat and drink, do this in remembrance of me. And so I come from um, a, 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 at least a seminary tradition, uh, but a lot of the United Methodist Church where we take communion on a regular basis, right? I grew up in a church where we took it like, well, I don't know, once a quarter maybe. I mean, I didn't even really know what it was. Um, but, but I think when we take it regularly, we do this just as Christ called us as often. Um, in remembrance of him. And then the, the other thing is that we, we serve the least among us. And I think when it comes to the church moving forward, um, you know, I feel challenged by Maundy Thursday to say, hey, how can I wash the feet of someone who, um, you know, I maybe don't trust. I, I just get this visual of Jesus washing Judas's feet. He knows what's going to happen, right? Judas is going to turn him over for, uh, I don't know, I think it's like 10, 10 to $20,000 maybe of what today's money. But, you know, Jesus is going to move, is going to turn somebody over who's, I mean, J- Judas is going to turn Jesus over for that money. And the night before Jesus says, hey, I'm going to serve you. I mean, how many times in our lives have we wanted to do that? Almost never. If we know somebody's going to cross us, right? The last thing we're going to do is go out of our way for them, right? The last thing we're going to do is get down on our knees and wash them. Um, and so I, I just think that's a really cool um, moment for us to, to, for us to ponder is like, who, who is it in our life who might have betrayed us in the past, who might betray us in the future, who we don't trust, Right. Um, who, who may lead our church, talking about Peter, right? Peter becomes, right, he's the rock upon which the church is built. Peter becomes 
the leader, the first bishop of the Catholic Church. I mean, he becomes the guy. But of course, when when you know the rubber hits the road, he denies Jesus three times, and it takes until that he hears the rooster crowing to say, "Oh, okay." So, like, um, I just I wonder about who in our lives who we don't trust, who might betray us, who you know that sort of thing. Um, could we get down and wash their feet? I, I think of political enemies. I think of enemies within our own churches. I think of those people who like are in our communities, but really annoy us. It's like those people when we do our gatherings and you're like, please don't come talk to me. Like those people, how could we serve them? Um, and I think that helps to center us and it helps to put us in the role of Christ um, where where we can finally realize um, the sacrifice, the personal sacrifice that it takes to live like Christ. And, um, you know, obviously Good Friday is the most, um, you know, it's the most real uh, visual sacrifice, but there's so many pieces of walking through Holy Week that show us that same thing. And um, and so I, I think as a church, if we could ask ourselves that daily, who are we washing their feet? Who are we serving? Um, and if it's if it's the poor among us, I mean, how much of our American church is known for for helping the poor? Not enough. There are some uh, really good churches, a lot of churches that are doing really good work, but in general, uh, culturally, Christians are are known for protecting themselves. They're known for protecting capitalism. They're known for protecting, you know, um, tax revenue, right? They they don't they don't want to pay any more taxes. They they want the government off their money. They, but these are Christians, right? And so these are people who need to be asking themselves, who am I serving? Am I serving the poor? Am I serving? Am I serving the outcast? Am I serving the people? who, you know, uh, that church won't welcome? Am I serving um, my enemies, right? The people who will betray me. And I I think for me, that's where I kind of land inside of um, the kind of the centering piece and all of that because Jesus is made real to us through scripture. And that's how Jesus's last moments were defined, right? And um, oftentimes when I think about moving into Good Friday, I think of that grandmother on her deathbed with her family all gathered around her and she's giving her family advice, right? She's just, they're remembering moments. They're remembering time together. They're remembering the lessons that were learned. They're laughing about funny stories of things that happened. The grandmother says things like, you know, you all need to love each other or take care of each other. Or, you know, that's kind of what happens with Jesus and the disciples is he's, he knows that his time is coming to an end. Right. And even after his resurrection, he's around for a little bit, but he knows that his time is coming to an end. And so he's setting the example. He's setting the model of what Christians are supposed to do, how Christians are supposed to live, how Christians are supposed to treat each other and the world. Um, And so I think that's how it centers us. Oh, so beautiful. So good. Thank you so much for your time and your words and your wisdom. And this was so, so wonderful. And I'm just, so, so grateful that you agreed to come be on the podcast and oh, thank you so much yeah of course yeah thank you thanks for the invitation of course of course all right everyone who's listening um i hope your holy week is off to a good start and if you're listening outside of holy week i hope your day is off to a good start um as well so stay tuned for our next episode and we'll be back soon Bye.
Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Wesley Union. We hope you enjoyed it. We would like to extend a special thanks to today's speaker, as well as our production team, Troy Argon Buchanan, Sarah Taylor, and Derek Scott III. My name is Allison Corwin, and thank you for listening to Wesley Union, a Studio Wesley offering powered by Campus to City Wesley.